Welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers series, New Voices for Europe. I'm Alexandra Buchler, and it's a pleasure to introduce these interviews with writers who came to Europe from conflict zones and made the continent their new home. We have asked them about their journey, personal and creative, and what made it possible for them to restart writing as they emerged from often difficult circumstances. Some of these interviews are presented as podcasts, others as written articles. And all are a testimony to the admirable strength of spirit and perseverance the writers have shown. Hello, and I'm Marsha Links Quayley, and I'm joined today by the Syrian writer and artist Riaf El Madhoun who published his first award-winning collection of poetry in Syria in 2004. His second came out in 2008, which is the same year he moved to Stockholm. He's since published two more collections in Arabic, as well as many translated collections in Swedish and Dutch, English, Persian, German, other languages. He's also put together collaborative poetic works with the Dutch poet and Vegter, and another with the Swedish poet, Marie Silkeberg, and the latter was also adapted into a radio drama. He's worked on poetry films and visual art collaborations, and we're very pleased to be joined by him today. Hello, Riath. Hello, Marcel. Hello. Hello. And so the first thing uh, we wanted to do was to ask you to read. Yeah, of course. So I will read this poem uh, called Woman, a very short one. Misa. النساء اللواتي عصرن العنب بأقدامهن منذ بدء التاريخ النساء اللواتي تم قفلهن بحزام العفة في أوروبا الساحرات اللواتي أحرقن في العصور الوسطى روائيات القرن التاسع عشر اللواتي كتبن بأسماء ذكورية لكي يستطعن النشر حاصدات الشاي في سيلان نساء برلين اللواتي أعدن إعمارها بعد الحرب فلاحات القطن في مصر الجزائريات اللواتي يضعن البراز على أجسادهن لكي لا يغتصبن من قبل الجنود الفرنسيين عذراوات السيجار في كوبا عصابة الماسات السوداوات في ليبيريا راقصات السامبا في البرازيل اللواتي فقدن وجوههن بالأسيد في أفغانستان أمي أنا آسف That's beautiful <laughs> um, It's a lot to start out with um, So it's it's a very international poem and you have been a very international writer and I wanted to know that how from establishing yourself in Syria and then moving to Stockholm, how how you found ways to survive as a writer. I mean, what, what has been important? Is it residencies, publication? Um, what helps you make a living, make your way as a writer? Uh, yeah. It, 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 most of the things I will tell you, like I will think, 
about them for the first time now, or I I did think about them before, but every time in a different version because I really mm. don't, don't know the process. I published my first book. Uh, I was 25 years old. Uh, it was 2004, and most of the poems in, were in that uh, naive collection, as I call it, uh, were poems I I wrote between 18 and 25. So it's mm. my, as my, as I call it, my teenager uh, writing. Uh, 2008, uh, I was chosen with another. Uh, we were 12 young poets published under the what called the Damascus, the capital of uh, Arabic culture. They chose. Uh, 12 winners and we published before I got the book I went to Sweden in that time I was really involved in uh, in everything connecting to culture that will change the world we will take back Palestine we will liberate the world we have all this dream like every generation before us have it it's the same way uh, I left to Stockholm uh, to participate in a poetry festival and I seek asyl I became a refugee and then my second book came uh, when I was in Sweden, take a while I, I, until I, I saw it. From that moment, from the moment I arrived to Sweden, I I did something very weird and strange. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was strange for me and weird for the people. I decided, because in Damascus I was writing uh, in a newspaper as a journalist. I make essays and articles to survive economically like most of the writers do. The moment I arrived to Sweden, I decided that uh, I will never write any article anymore. Never. Mm. Not mm. in many cases. Even if I will starve to death. And I say, I will be a poet. And it's the only thing I will do. Like every profession in the world. Why the engineer working as engineer? Why the people who sell meat, they sell only meat or tomato? Why the doctors work as doctors? And why the poet should write many things and teach in the university and write essays and make critique to survive? And mm. from that moment, people say for me, but you will not survive. You are not famous. You are a young poet. I say it doesn't matter. And now 12 years after that, I'm still stubborn. I didn't do anything else. So it is weird the decision I did, but I'm but I really feel relaxed with it. Mm. I will never do anything outside poetry. And everything I do is connected to poetry. So I do poetry films, but not as a filmmaker, as a poet. For me, poetry is as I told you before in the interview, it's a new way of publishing poetry. I could accept to write some kind of article once then and there like but it's really connected to the process of my poetry or how I write or like this and try to avoid everything when it's not about poetry so uh, most of the time I was not not successful with this so I passed in many years with very bad economic situation but uh, I don't know <laughs> I, I I refuse to change it. I am a poet. I will continue to be only poet. That's and excellent. So what what are the things that help you? What sort of projects, programs? Yeah. How how have you been able to make it? Yes, in the years that uh, like when the years is not good, it's past like uh, that. I survive from little profit from this book. A little from this festival, I do some kind of reading project, little from here and from there. 
but I survived. In the good years, and there were so many good years, <laughs> yeah, when you got big grants, uh, big scholarships, like you understand, you feel that you could stay one or two years, even relax after that. So, and the, the good thing in that you, sometimes you harvest uh, things when they are, uh, when you do a lot of things. One day you will begin to harvest. You understand? Mm. So, mm, yes. for, yeah, for example, now I am in a, not in the best time. Like it's Corona. Like, uh, like my life is very connected to uh, scholarships, residency, poetry festivals, moving here and there, like this. And suddenly everything uh, shut down. But that is not the problem for me. Uh, uh, my problem is more like. Uh, philosophical problem with this pandemic because uh, I was in Syria uh, from a Palestinian group who came in 1967 to Syria. We have a very, very small group, not like the majority who came uh, after 1948, Nakba. So mm. we, we have no human rights. So we were without any document. We're not allowed to work or to own or to do anything. So I was not able to travel until I left to Sweden by Palestinian Authority passport, I smuggled it to Syria into when I was 2008, when I was 29 years and six months old. The first things pandemic take me to uh, is to the memory of the dictatorship, because now I'm not able to travel exactly like the 30 years I lived in my life, where I don't have even ID card. And I was not able to travel. So every day in this quarantine, every day with this lockdown and uh, the pan of traveling, uh, the only thing I think about is the dictatorship. It's so heavy on me. Mm. It's I can't describe it how much it's bad because like every day I have this nightmare. Like, you know, most of the Syrians, they got these uh, nightmares. And most of the people who run away from dictatorship, they have this dream that uh, in a different version, but it is the same. It is like you you dream that you find yourself uh, in Syria or you find yourself in Iraq for the Iraqi version or Libya in the Libyan version. Like you dream, suddenly you find yourself uh, in Syria and you don't know how to run away again. You understand me? Yeah. So th- yeah. This dream have ha- happened always, but... Uh, uh, I got it like once every month, but now with the pandemic, I got it every day. So there is a similarity. So this is the heavy thing. So right. the, ec- economically, it's bad, but uh, phys- like uh, mentally, is is the is the worst things for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to me, it, you've always seemed very tied into whatever literary community of wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, I, do you still feel a part of the literary community now during the pandemic? And how, how does a person who arrives in a new place, whether it's Stockholm or Berlin, how do you become a part of the local literary community? Oh, yeah, the differences between uh, Stockholm and Berlin, it's like the difference between Berlin and Syria. It's totally oh. different society. So the, uh, north, uh, the North European tradition, it's totally uh, like... Uh, small like you should think about Sweden in this way that it's a country where the language is only spoken in this country 
and it's like 10 million people, one book fair, and this small society where most of the writers uh, know each other. There is some kind of envy in uh, in between the writers in a healthy way, but it's mm. interest. And uh, because of the 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 morals of the Scandinavian, so you should be more always be what, what we say in Sweden, logum, like uh, you should be medium, you should be you should be grey. It's yeah, yeah. It's mixed between Protestant <laughs> Lutheran thing and. Uh, to be, uh, you, you should not show yourself. You should be gray. And because that, uh, from the moment I arrive, I I choose the people I want to be surrounded by because it's. Uh, I felt that this is place is really for mediocres. I mm. don't know how to describe it. But yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes, if you are a mediocre, you are accepted. But if uh, a Swedish writer, he began to make it internationally or he began to make success, uh, what was very uh, positive society didn't became, continue to be positive. It became little negative. And that is, I find it in most of the small societies in the North. Uh, Berlin is not like that. Berlin is a really cosmopolitan, multicultural, diverse city. Uh, so, for example, I live here in Neukölln. And guess what? I saw even German two two days ago. Mm. Yeah. So even in in the area I live, you could meet Germans. So in, this is the way I describe Berlin. Like it's like you could meet anyone, but not Germans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like where I live in Neukölln, if you see a German, it's a joke, of course. But like I always yeah, yeah, say, like yeah. 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 So uh, it's very cosmopolitan. I'm surrounded by Americans, Scandinavian, Arabs, Turk, uh, Jewish, uh, uh, people from all over the world. Uh, it's like, uh, even if I'm not allowed to use this word, but I will use it anyway, it's a concentration camp of artists. Uh. Seriously, it's a yeah. lot of artists to the to the level like it's became a little weird sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with with the pandemic, of course, now the things is different because we saw each other less. We only invite each other for dinners or we go for a walk. But still, it's totally different than the, the morals of uh, Stockholm. Here, you could survive uh, alone without being uh, in contact with the uh, circles of the German culture. You could be with English people. You could be with Croatian people. You could be like it's a, like a, what we call it the foreign community here is a huge, and uh, there is opportunity to meet a lot of people because the visitors who come to the city is like you know this city like a magnet for culture, and uh, yeah, uh, like now it's a little different because when I arrived in July 2019, I was invited for one year residency at DAAD consular program. I finished it. And uh, yeah, of course, I know from the beginning that I will stay. So I I find an apartment and I stayed. So it, it became a little different after I finished the residency because during the residency, I was meeting a lot of people and where there were no coronavirus at that time. <laughs> yeah. Actually the last things happened before the lockdown is the exhibition I did. 
I did, yeah, and this is show you how I make everything connected to poetry. I make 10 days exhibition of poetry. So it's a very weird to say like, uh, what, what do you mean by exhibition? Most of the people who ask me, but yes, I did it. So it was with the DAD. So I show the poetry films I did with the Marisil Kipari. I make a poetry shower. I like ask a friend to rewrite uh, one of the books on, on the wall. And then I project poems on the on the window but in the opposite side so the people in the street could read it all the night so it was in three languages german and arabic and english so we like there's some kind of material you put it in the window so it will be able if you project something that the window could catch the letters and yeah so it was exhibition like for 10 days and immediately after that the lockdown began wow yeah, so the people still remember the life before the lockdown and they remember my exhibition. <laughs> yeah. In those long ago days. Yeah. So once the lockdown is over, hopefully mm-hmm. it will not uh, go on for too much longer. What sort of advice would you have? So a writer is newly arriving in, in Berlin or in Stockholm or, or somewhere else. Yeah. H- how do they find their way into into this community? Yeah, they have two choices. Uh, either they decided to not go with these uh, refugee things mm. or they go with it. And I, okay. hope they, I, I hope they will not because it's, it is like this. Uh, people in Europe in the crisis time and or everywhere, they try to help. And they have this idea that, okay, there's writers, there's artists will come from the war zone. They will come from mm. Kosovo, they will come from Iraq. They come. And uh, like uh, they try to help, uh, but instead of they help, they destroy by category you. Like they mm. put you in a category as a refugee or as a immigrant or as a female writer who want to be free from hijab or I don't know all these cliches so in this way as we say when somebody love you too much he destroyed you so uh, what happened uh, that many uh, uh, Syrian writers I know young writers they were really talented in, uh, in Syria and now they became in a way sadly like they became these uh, uh, refugees they are not writers anymore Right. You know, the refugee question is very important. I don't want you to mix, like, if somebody invites me to speak about uh, the refugee subject or like this, of course, I will not say no, but it depends how it is. Like, uh, the refugee question or the um, uh, exile or the immigrant question, it's it's very uh, important subject for uh, literature. And uh, you could, uh, like, you could check... Uh, Brecht or Hannah Arendt or all these people who speak about this subject. It's very important. But when it is, when you and the writers from the country you arrived, you are equal. When you are invited to a discussion where there is, for example, two Syrian writers and two German writers in Germany, then the discussion could be, and we are equal and we are like in the same level. But when you invite four Syrian alone, and you don't even mention that they are writers. You, you mention that they are refugee writers. Then the things, yeah. And this is what, what I call it the easy way. And most of the people uh, 
trapped in this. Like they, they got it as a trap because they didn't know. They want to survive. They are new in the community. They want anything to catch with it. And the result of this, I don't like at all. The people who choose to not be in this, they are the people who could do something. And they always win because they, they are writers in the end. Mm. And they behave as they should behave in any community. And they didn't take the, the short road. So uh, this is the only thing, uh, I think the writer who came from the third world or from the dictatorship or from a war should be really uh, careful about uh, to not be in a category. And uh, it's a big fight because every day you got like, they, they will not give up. So it's not something will end like if you say no first. So every day you got invitation. Every day you got emails. Every day you got another question. You should answer the same question always. Mm. They make you tired, but like because they didn't know that they are doing something wrong. So what, what advice would you, I mean, how would you change the way in which these events and 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 publications and things are structured if if you were in charge of the world no you can't you can't the people uh, who came in from iran 1979 they tried to change it they didn't succeed the, even people came from chile pinochet to sweden in the mm. uh, like they tried to do it they didn't you don't try the iraqi tried before the Palestinian. <laughs> it, it will not work people because the people are good they mm. they try to be good they try to help so there is many uh, syrian writers who never published book in arabic but they they got their books in swedish and english before even arabic it is really it's a really tricky we want a writer we want syrian writer uh. it is like this so it's it's a really tricky question and uh, like uh, the person who ha- every person have the right to say yes or no, but I, I, it's really really difficult. In the end, we have a crisis, and this is I call it pa- a small part of the crisis. So, like the Syrian war, it's have many uh, difficult things. It's have the bombing on the people. It's have the chemical attack. It's have the die under torture. It's have drone in the sea, and it's have to be a writer in Europe. <laughs> it's a result of the war right mm. what kinds of projects uh, have you been involved in that you have thought worked so I looked at this uh, I don't know how to pronounce it but S-H-A-E-R-A-T which seems to have been an exchange of young women poets between Sweden and Arab countries that you were involved in yeah um, did was that did that work out well? Yeah, but uh, uh, you should know something that this project is a female project. I only take part in the first uh, first section, and mostly that my name should not be written. The project is uh, it's like this: Khulud uh, Sagir and Hanna Nordenhek and some other poets in Sweden. They decided to to make this kind of like. Uh, go to choose a country. They go there. Uh, six uh, Swedish poets go. For example, it was the first country was Palestine. They go to Palestine. They meet six young female Palestinian poets. They make workshop of translation, make a reading in Palestine, and then they go back. And then the Palestinian uh, young uh, female poets come to Sweden, 
and they make a festival and make the reading, and then all uh, the translation and everything appear in a very uh, important literary magazine in Sweden called Kritiker. And the, yeah, so in the year after, they make it in Iran, then Iraq, then Saudi Arabia and Bahrain, Algeria, Egypt, uh, you, you know, every. Uh, right. My, uh, uh, my duty was to choose the names in the Arabic country. So you have all the Arabic country except Iran, because that is Persian. So I choose the poets. And, uh, you know, this uh, kind of dictatorship uh, like you need sometimes uh, somebody who grow up in a dictatorship or a male and grow up in a dictatorship to go in the trip, the first trip. Mm. to Because, you know, every country, they try to drag you to themselves, to communicate with you, to, to take your project from you, to deal with you like we can help you and like this. So my duty was only to choose the poets from each country and then if there is a need, I travel with the ladies, with the young poets to to the country where they go and uh, to try to help in the logistic. And then my mission is end. When the poets came to Sweden like this, I disappear, then it will be only female together. Mm. So even my help, is you can't call it help. It's only uh, something... Logistic, uh, yeah, but yes, I choose the names, of course, but I really do my best to choose from all the schools, from all the different uh, uh, voices in the country. I read a lot before I choose, and like this. And so, yeah, so Khulud Sagir is involved in this, and uh, accidentally, we like she's my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and later she in the beginning when the project began, it was not my partner. But I told you it's very very interesting project, and it's uh, I I don't call it a feminist project. It's a more than that. It's a female project. It's a feminist project. It's a woman project, and it's a very interesting project, and it's very important literary uh, uh, thing happen outside the cliches that we we got about. Uh, uh, like uh, when the woman will begin to drive in Saudi Arabia and all these service <laughs> questions. Yeah, yeah, outside the service, like uh, a real question. So it's a very, very interesting question. But I can't say that I'm involved in it 100% because in the end, I'm I'm a man and this project is for females. Okay. Um, but it seems like this project is sort of an example of something that is working. Yes, of course. There is many projects, like uh, most of the... Like most of the things that, uh, for example, if you if you think about uh, uh, the great things happen all over the world, there's many great things outside the the people who are not bad people but try to only to help and to do something for reviews. There's a lot of great uh, uh, the, what we call the normal festivals, that the normal discussions, that the, like any festival and a discussion happen. Uh, if the Syrian war happened or not, it exists, and these these things are serious things. You will not survive one hundred percent. They always will be this question and about uh, uh, the relation with the new society and like this. But in the end, uh, you you can't avoid that there's war in Syria. Right. So, how in these lockdown times? 
how have you still been, have you been doing Zoom events and, and other things to continue to reach out to readers or have you kind of been cocooning and, and writing during this time? Yes, I did uh, Zoom readings. You know, I was uh, uh, against this from the beginning, but it is, it's, it's not a choice. Like right. uh, we need to like to be in a quarantine because we it's this virus is a death penalty for old people, and I have a lot of friends who are older than sixty. Actually, half of my friends are older than sixty, and I really, really beg the people to to really take care of this generation and uh, and we, we take care of, of anything like it's only 6 or 7 months and i think will 70% of the society will have the vaccine so it's not it's not so difficult what is difficult for me that uh, that in this quarantine it is not like like the sage of the war like uh, the most difficult things uh, in this quarantine that we should be uh, isolated from each other. Mm. While the people under uh, the airstrike, under the bombing, they go to shelters, but they go to together. They hug each other. They catch each other. Like so, so they, they they die together. Yeah. What, in this situation, it's became like a very strange situation. I am here. My girlfriend is. Uh, uh, back and forth between Stockholm and Berlin because of her work and stuff. And uh, the quarantine came and we are isolated. And, you know, you remember in the beginning, uh, the first wave, the people were still afraid. They don't know what's going on. I don't think it was healthy in any way. There is nothing good, nothing mm. happened from COVID-19. No, nothing. Like some people, they say, yeah, but I finished my book. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I even like in the normal days I was writing ten times more. Right. Yeah, it's really not healthy. I don't know what to say, but like, yeah, I I don't like anything about this quarantine. I spend the time uh, while I was at DAD residency at the last four months, the first quarantine. I have this two hundred square meter apartment, so I was. Uh, moving from room to room. So I make a room for reading, room for writing, room for I don't know what like this. And then uh, that luxury life finished and I rented a small apartment, 50 square meter here in Neukölln. So I have uh, uh, one living room where I work and uh, uh, a sleeping room. And uh, the things became, began to be so heavy because I am a person who work on cafes. Right. So I do something uh, that uh, I go to coffee and work. And if I have a deadline, I say I do something called marathon. So I go to coffee and work until my mind is closed and I can't write anymore. Then I go to another coffee. I have, <laughs> it's a map where I know the coffees where I go. So I work there for another two hours until my mind closed and then uh, go to uh, the third and the fourth and the fifth. And and it's work well because when you move, when you change the place, uh, two things happen. The first, you walk. Mm. And during this walk, uh, something happened. Most of the your ideas will be refreshed. And then when you arrive to a new space, 
and something happened as if you have a new day. And this is I use it in the in the when I have deadline. And suddenly, in the second of November, the lockdown began, and then it became more strict. They closed the cafes. And uh, that was difficult for me. So I uh, I rented, I became a member of working space now. Mm. Every day I go between 10 and 6 o'clock in the evening to the where I go. I, it's called Factory Berlin. So where there I choose a place, like either office or a room or so far like this. It's a huge, 50, like two buildings, one of them like 15,000 square meter and one 10,000 square meter. You know, it's like uh, places for people to work. So I go there every day and work. And and this is make me feel uh, like life is still going because because it's very important that uh, I leave my home for relaxing, for meeting people, for cooking, not for working. I wake up, I take a shower, I dress, and I go to my work. It could be my work only answering emails. Or mm-hmm. that, but it's very important that I am outside the home for at least eight hours at work. And when I can do this in the cafes, I do it now in the, in the place I rent. And, yeah. So what, as last question, um, uh, what is the thing you're, you're most looking forward to once this pandemic has subsided? Literature festivals or traveling? First, (laughs) I will go to New York to celebrate that uh, the COVID is uh, finished and Trump is finished and uh, all these things (laughs) together as a bucket. So this is the first thing. And to feel that I cross the ocean. Uh, that means that we uh, that the pandemic is done. It's gone. It's, it came from the uh, from the past. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, I'm looking forward to that life will go back, but I don't think it will come back in the same way mm. because the COVID will change us already. Changes uh, change us. It will be totally different world with the same rules, but in a different way. Our way of describing the world and our, our way of understanding ourselves will be totally different. The university will function in a different way. The schools, the Zoom reading, the work from home, many things. Even the hospitals would function in a different way. And sadly, we will be uh, less 1% of the, of the world uh, died or will be something like that. Mm. So I don't know. It will be totally different, but uh, I'm still that hope that I will be from the survivor and the world will continue. This is exactly what happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu. And by the way, the Spanish flu it was the second and the third wave. They were very strong when they hit. The first wave was, I think, 2%, mm-hmm. the death rate, but the second and the third we don't have really good study, but it's around 5%. So, and some countries like India lost really 5% of the population. So there is similarities uh, like between what happened now and 100 years ago. And that pandemic really changed the world in that time. I saw some reclams from that time about uh, that people should must wear masks and people, yeah. and people uh, saying no we should no not do this is only fake and like this 
it's so strange like to feel that people yes well <laughs> some things about humanity i guess haven't changed that much yes but i still have hope at least uh, at least that we learn something maybe yeah well i want you to say stay safe thank you you too and uh, see you in a in a real way uh, when this finish inshallah uh, uh, inshallah i hope so <laughs> i hope <me> too <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. You can hear more episodes from the series by subscribing to follow the Literature Across Frontiers podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to rate the podcast and give us a review, especially if it's going to be a five-star one. Please also help us raise awareness about the Literature Across Frontiers podcast through your social media accounts. And finally, I'd like to thank the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union for making this interview series possible with their support. <laughs>